Good evening. I appreciate very much the opportunity to be with you tonight. I'm thankful for the invitation. I, uh, I think that the last time I was here was the week before Eddie arrived, and uh, I know what a blessing Eddie has been to all of you, and uh, he has been to my life as well, and we won't tell him we said those things about him, but uh, he's, a, he's a really wonderful guy, good influence, and has been a good influence in my life. I'm thankful for you all, and I'm thankful for the work that the church here is doing, and I'm thankful again for the invitation to be with you. I want to talk about prayer tonight, and I want to start by asking you a question. How is your prayer life? When it comes to spending time with God in prayer, I believe there's not a Christian alive that wouldn't say, I could use some improvement in my prayer life. When it really comes to spending time with God and communicating with Him in a meaningful way, in a deep way, in a rich way, all of us could spend some time thinking about prayer. It wasn't that many years ago that when I was working in Bossier City, as a matter of fact, we had a new convert. A young man had just been baptized not many weeks prior, and we had studied with him, and we talked about prayer in our study, but when he was baptized, he came to me a few weeks after that, and he said, Brother John, I have a question. I said, sure, what's your question? He said, how do you pray? This young man had not grown up with any kind of religious background. He had not ever spent time praying, and that question really started me thinking because this is one of those subjects we kind of assume people know what to do and we kind of assume that people have some good ideas about what they should say when they pray but maybe sometimes we shouldn't assume so much how is your prayer life the bible tells us that we are to pray without ceasing first thessalonians 5 verse 17 we are to continue earnestly in prayer colossians chapter 4 verse 2 when you look at the life of jesus you'll find that he is a man of prayer Jesus, the Bible says, spent all night one night healing the sick and casting out demons, and yet he arose early in the morning before it was daylight, and he went to a private place, and there he prayed. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Jesus spent all night before he selected the 12 apostles, spent all night in prayer. Luke chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. When you listen and look at the cross and what Jesus said at the cross, seven statements at the cross, and three of them were prayers. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Out of seven statements from the cross, three of them were in prayer. And so when you stop and think about what the Bible has to say about prayer, it's impossible. In fact, you do not find anybody anywhere in Scripture that is a great man or great woman of faith that is not also at the same time a great man or great woman of prayer. We need to think more seriously about prayer and about its role in our lives. I don't know about you, but I fall into certain patterns at times in my life, patterns of prayer. That is to say, these are things that I wouldn't say I was proud of, but they're things that I've recognized before in my life. For example, maybe you'll recognize some of yourself in this. Sometimes we might be guilty of foxhole prayer. If you know what a foxhole is, a soldier goes out and he's in war and he digs a foxhole so that the bullets don't hit him. And the only time we ever seem to pray is when the bullets are whizzing over our heads, when there's a crisis, when there's a trouble, when there's something that we're really concerned about. Foxhole type of prayer. Sometimes in our lives, we might be guilty of ADD prayer. What does ADD stand for? Attention Deficit Disorder. Do you ever pray that way? You start out... My Father in heaven, I am so thankful for you and I'm thankful for 
by the way, did I turn the stove off when I finished cooking this morning? Well, you know what? I need to go out and I need to do this and this and this in the yard today. And the next thing you know, your mind is a million miles away. ADD prayer. I suspect all of us have probably done that a time or two. How about this? Patterns of prayer. Mealtime prayer. That is to say that we will pray to God when we are about to eat, and that's the only time we pray to God, and we have a rote prayer that we offer to God. This is, this is what we say every single time. There's nothing wrong with repeating ourselves in and of itself, but we shouldn't use vain repetition. And certainly, if all we're doing is praying to God when we sit down to eat, maybe we need to rethink our prayer lives. Maybe you've done this. Maybe you've been guilty of pillow prayer. You lay down on your pillow at night, and you start to think about God, and you start to offer a prayer to Him, and in the middle of that prayer, you drift off to sleep. And you wake up the next morning, and you realize, you know what? I never finished that prayer that I started. I never quite got finished, never said that, uh, that this is the end of what I had to say to God. You fall asleep. Or maybe you've been guilty of guilt-induced prayer. After you hear a lesson like this one, you're convicted and you think, I really need to change the way I'm spending time with God in prayer. And so because you feel a little bit guilty about it, you really get motivated. You try to spend a long time praying about everything that concerns you. And nothing inherently wrong with that. But guilt-induced prayer sometimes is really short-lived because our guilt is sometimes short-lived. And so we need to think as Christians about our prayer lives. All of us could stand to examine our prayer lives. And I'll say this. It is safe to say that nobody ever prayed like Jesus did. When it comes to the school of prayer, it's been said that Jesus Christ had a doctorate degree in prayer. And most of the rest of us were doing good to be in kindergarten. That's the way I feel. Jesus Christ had a doctorate, a Ph.D. in prayer. The Bible says that Jesus spent so much time in prayer and His prayers were so fervent and so rich and when people would hear Him, His disciples came to Him in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And they said, or Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught His disciples to pray. We want to know how to pray from You, Jesus. And so, a question the question that that young man asked me so many years ago. What do you do, Brother John? How do you pray? What are the things that you ask God for? What are the things that you say? That question needs to be one that we are able to answer as Christians. It's one that we are able to, to think about and to meditate on and to ask whether or not we really are praying the way that God would have us to pray. All right, so hopefully all that being introductory, Hopefully all that has whetted our appetite. So what I'd like for us to do in our study tonight is three things. We're going to talk, first of all, about several misconceptions about prayer that can hinder us. Misconceptions about prayer. There's a lot of them floating around out there. We'll list four or five. Secondly, we're going to talk about what the Bible says concerning the power of prayer. Is it useful? Is it constructive? Is it helpful? Does God really hear us? Those kinds of questions. And then third tonight, we're going to talk about some practical helps. If you were going to talk to that young man that asked me that question, what kinds of things would you say to him? How do you pray? We'll, we'll answer that question a little bit more in the third part of our lesson tonight. And if you have any questions or comments, this is kind of a Bible class format, right? Sure. Okay. So I'm okay with questions if you have any, if you want to raise your hand or, or have a comment. So don't hesitate to let me know. Let's talk first of all about some misconceptions that people have concerning their prayers. And I find that these misconceptions are not so often stated as they are believed. In other words, we don't necessarily say these things to one another. 
But somewhere deep down in the back of our minds, somewhere deep down inside our hearts, we might think these things about prayer. For example, misconception number one. Some people believe, I believe, that prayer, it's going to become easy someday. It ought to, it ought to be automatic. If I'm just spiritual enough, if I just grow enough, if I just become enough like Jesus, prayer is going to become automatic in my life. It'll just flow out of me and there won't be any effort involved and there won't be any kind of, any kind of uh, uh, intention involved on my part. I do not believe that that is what the Bible teaches about prayer. When you stop and think about what the Scriptures say about prayer, prayer is an avenue, an act of worship. You don't ever worship God without intending to worship God. It's something that you mentally decide, I'm going to do this, I'm going to engage, I'm going to concentrate, I'm going to think. And especially when it comes to prayer, no matter how long you spend as a Christian, no matter how much you grow as a Christian, no matter how many years you, you live as a Christian, you don't ever get to the point where prayer becomes effortless, where prayer all of a sudden is just something that's automatic in your life. When you look at Jesus, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, as He's preparing to go to the cross, the Bible says in Luke 22, verse 44, that His sweat becomes, as it were, drops of blood. There was intensity in His prayer. Jesus was putting effort into His prayer. You have to give God something. That's what worship is all about. Worship is bringing gifts to God. And when you come to God, you want to bring something in your bucket. You want to bring a gift, an offering, a sacrifice to Him. And the sacrifice that we bring when we pray, in part, is our concentration. I'm going to bring this concentration to you, God, and I'm going to spend some time thinking about you and focusing on who you are and what your will is for my life. And so, get out of your mind the idea that prayer is ever going to become effortless or automatic in your life. That's a misconception. Second, as you think about misconceptions, sometimes people have the idea that prayer doesn't work unless I have been sinless in my life. I've got to live a perfect life or prayer will not work. After all, the Bible says in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, that my prayers might separate me, or my sins might separate me from God, where He won't hear my prayers. All right? Yes, the Bible does say that. However, Jesus taught us to pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Remember that? Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. When you get down to verse 12, Jesus said, you are to pray, forgive us of our debts. That doesn't sound to me like somebody who is sinless. God, forgive me of my sin. If you have to be sinless in order for prayer to be effective, then how can God ever forgive anybody's sin? Because He can't hear people. God's people need to think about this. In James chapter 5, verse 16. James says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It does not say a sinless man or a sinlessly perfect man. There's a difference. A righteous man is somebody who is doing their best to walk in the light. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Somebody who's striving to be pleasing to God. That doesn't mean that we don't stumble and fall sometimes. So God's people need to think about the fact that prayer can be effective even though we may not necessarily be sinless in our lives. But, think about this too, our prayers will be hindered if we have a sin in our lives that we're not willing to change, we're not willing to repent of. I know it's there, and I know how to deal with it, but I'm not going to do it. That will hinder our prayers. That's what Isaiah was talking about in Isaiah 59. 
Number three, misconceptions. Some people think that prayer has to be selfless. I've got to pray for other people and missionaries, and I've got to pray for the preacher and the elders, and I've got to pray for the church all over the world, and I've got to pray for other people and other things. And it's not okay for me to ask things for myself. After all, James says that you're asking selfishly so that you can spend things on your own pleasures. James chapter 4, verse 3. So, my prayer's got to be selfless in order to do any good. Yes, it is true that we ought to pray about God's will. And yes, it is true that we ought to pray about missionaries and we ought to pray about preachers and we ought to pray about God's will going into the world and people hearing His will. All that's true, selflessly. But, Jesus also says in the model prayer in Matthew 6, verse 11, give us this day, what? Our daily bread. Exactly right. It is legitimate to ask for things that we need ourselves. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. If anyone is sick among you, let him pray. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray. And the prayer of faith will be offered and it will save the sick, heal the sick. There are things that we can pray for for ourselves. Paul asked in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he asked the Lord to remove his own personal thorn in the flesh. He prayed something for himself, but Paul sure did spend a lot of time praying for others as well. It's a misconception that somehow I have to be selfless completely in prayer. I can ask for things for me. Number four, misconceptions. Deep down in the back of our minds, sometimes we get this idea, and it's a lie straight from the devil, that prayer will not really change anything. Prayer won't really make that much of a difference, if any at all. I'm going to offer this prayer and I'm going to say something to God about the things that concern me and the things that I believe are concerning His will, but I really don't feel like and I really don't believe and I really don't think that anything's going to change when I offer this prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, Jesus says, Your heavenly Father already knows the things you need before you ask Him. And because of that, some people take that one verse and they focus on that and they say, Well, it must not be the case that prayer is ever going to change anything. Got your Bible? Open up to James chapter 5. <clears throat> James chapter 5. We talked about this just a second ago. Look at verse 16. James chapter 5. Look at verse 16. James chapter 5. Look at verse 16. Here's what James says by inspiration. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, we talked about that, avails much. Brothers and sisters and friends, either that verse is true or it is false. There is no gray area. Either your prayers make a difference and change things. God alters the events of time and history based on what we ask Him. Either that's true or it is not. There is no third alternative. So the question is, when it comes to, well, I just don't think prayer is going to make any difference. It comes to this. Do you really believe what the Bible says or don't you? James 5.16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It makes a difference. And then number five, misconceptions. If I ask for something once and I get no answer, the answer must be no. Misconception concerning prayer. If I ask for something once and I get no answer, 
The answer must be no. Turn in your Bibles, since we're turning in our Bibles now. Luke 18, verse 1. Luke 18, verse 1. If I ask for something and I don't see an answer, I only ask once, but I don't see an answer, well, the answer must be no. God says no. And we have all kinds of books about what happens when God says no. And people preach sermons about when God says no and things like that. All right, sometimes God doesn't answer prayers the way we expect. But have you ever stopped to consider Luke 18.1? He spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and what? Not give up, not lose heart. Absolutely right. Jesus said, when you pray, keep on praying, keep on asking, keep on seeking. In fact, that's the verb tense when you read in Matthew chapter 7, ask, seek, and knock. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. What Jesus said about prayer was this. If you really want something from God, if you really believe He has the power to bless the church or bless His kingdom or bless your family with something that is according to His will, if you believe God can do it, you don't just ask Him once. And it's not because God doesn't hear us the first time. Are you listening? It's not because God doesn't hear us the first time. Sometimes God doesn't answer as quickly as we might expect because He wants us to realize a couple of things. He wants to, us to realize in the first place how much we really depend on Him. And He wants us to realize in the second place this is something we really, really do passionately desire. So when I pray for healing in a relationship where people are at odds with each other, and when I pray for people to be saved that we've been studying with, and I pray for things like that, and for the circumstances to align so that, so that circumstances can be according to God's will in a certain area of my life, how much do I really want those things? Casually mention it once, okay. But to keep on persistently praying, read the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18. Jesus told a parable about this. This widow couldn't get justice from anybody, and so she went to the judge, and the judge wouldn't give it to her, and so the widow just kept on, kept on, kept on, and finally the judge said, okay, fine, I will give you what you want. And what Jesus is saying in Luke 18 is God is not like that, but you need to be persistent in prayer. God's not unjust like that judge. God wants to give you good things, but you need to be persistent like that widow was. As God's people, we need to remember Persistence is a key to effective prayer. Any questions, comments about the misconceptions? Anything you need me to repeat? Number two tonight, let's talk about the power of prayer. We're going to look at some passages together. Open your Bibles to Psalm 34, verse 15. Psalm 34, verse 15. Is it effective? Is it powerful? Does prayer work? Sometimes in our modern society, we do stuff for ourselves to the extent that we feel like we really don't need anybody else. That is antithetical. That is against everything that God desires for us to think about when it comes to prayer. Psalm 34, verse 15. Listen to what the Scripture says. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. So a couple of things to think about. Am I living a righteous life as best I can? And secondly, do I believe, once again, what the Bible says? Do I believe that there really is a God in heaven whose ears are open to the cries 
of His people. Peter took this very same verse, and Peter used this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. Quoted it again. So in case you want to know, it's an Old Testament reference, Psalm 34, 15, and it's a New Testament reference, 1 Peter 3, verse 12. The eyes of the Lord and the ears of the Lord are open to the cries of the righteous. Next passage. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 6 and verse 4. Acts chapter 6 and verse 4. Is there power in prayer? Acts chapter 6, look at verse 4. Is it effective? Is it useful? Does it change things? There's trouble in the church in Jerusalem early on. Widows being neglected, daily distribution, causes a conflict, causes a division. And here's what the apostles say. Wise men those apostles were. We're not going to stop doing what apostles do in order to serve tables. It's not that serving tables was beneath them. They knew that Jesus told them they were supposed to wash feet. But they had a priority in their ministry. Elders would be well to listen to this. We are going to give ourselves, Acts 6 verse 4, continually to what? To prayer and to the ministry of the Word. God's people need leaders who are giving themselves continually to prayer. They do. Every church needs leaders who are giving themselves continually to prayer. It's not about just making all the right decisions and bless the elders with wisdom and help them to make good, good choices on behalf of the church. Help them to be men of prayer. Men who depend on God because they know and they're convicted that God makes a difference and God will change things. And things can be different because of His power and because of His will. Turn to another passage, Philippians 4, look at verse 6. Philippians 4, verse 6. We need to be a prayerful people. Philippians 4, verse 6. This is for everybody that watches Fox News or CNN or whatever else you like to watch. Okay, Philippians 4, 6. Listen very carefully. Be anxious in what? Nothing. That includes overseas concerns. That includes budget crises with our government. That includes border crises, whatever you want to call it. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then there's a promise attached. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know why so many Christians lack the peace that passes understanding? Because they never do what verse 6 tells them to do. Be anxious in nothing and pray about everything. There's a song in our songbook, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. One of the verses goes like this. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Why? All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Exactly what Philippians 4 teaches. All right, one more. 1 John chapter 5, look at verse 14. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. I hope what comes from this lesson is that you desire to rededicate your life to praying. I hope that that's what happens from this lesson. If that's all that happens from this lesson, I'm more than happy. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Listen to what the Scripture says. 
This is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. I love that verse. We have this confidence. It's just like Psalm 34, 15 that we looked at a moment ago. His eyes are upon the righteous. His ears are open to their cries. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. You know how you know if something's according to His will? It's not rocket science. It's God's will for the church to grow and for people to be saved. It's God's will for my family to grow up, my kids to grow up, to be godly young man and young woman. That's God's will. It's God's will for me to be a good husband to my wife and for my wife to be a good wife to me. It's God's will for me to be at peace with other people. It's God's will for my relationships to show something of Jesus Christ in them. It's not rocket science to know God's will, is it? And here we've got 1 John 5.14 saying, if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. It's not hard to know what God's will is. Oh, well, people say, well, I don't know in this specific situation. Well, that's why you pray. In this specific situation, I want to make sure that I'm manifesting Christ's likeness. I want to make sure that the church is growing in the right ways and that wise decisions are being made in this particular situation. Yes, it's kind of hard sometimes to know specifically what's best. That's why we pray. But it's not hard to know what God's will is. So, is there power in prayer? I'll tell you this. Every November, the elections come up and people talk about get out and vote and make sure you make your voice heard and make sure that your influence is felt and all that. I'll tell you this. One righteous Christian praying to Almighty God who created the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything that's in them can make more of a difference in this nation than 2 million people voting. 200 million people voting. One righteous man offering a prayer to Almighty God can make more of a difference than all the people that got together and decided they were going to do something different. How do you know that's true? I know that's true because I've read the Bible. I know that's true because that's the way God has always worked in history. And I know that's true because I believe in the power of prayer. If we want godly families, if we want godly congregations, if we want wise decisions to be made by our leaders and those who are in authority, if we want those things, prayer is where we need to go. Questions, comments? Number three. So that young man asked me the question, well, Brother John, how do you pray? I mean, what do you say? What do you do? How do you get started? Those kinds of things. So practical things to think about. Number one, prayer can be learned. It is not something that you just get downloaded into your brain when you are baptized. It doesn't work that way. Prayer can be learned. As a matter of fact, we should be learning how to pray better. Lord, teach us to pray, Luke 11, verse 1. When you pray, Jesus says in Matthew 6, pray in this manner. And then he starts to teach people what a model prayer might look like. Praying about God's name, praying about God's will, praying about God's kingdom. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses, as we also forgive those who trespass against us, because that's important too. My heart when I come to prayer, and the way that I feel about my brother who's trespassed against me, that makes a difference. You can learn how to pray. Well, where do you learn how to pray? You can open up the pages of Scripture, and that's number two. We need to, if we want to be better at praying, we need to study prayers of the Bible. Study prayers of the Bible. Did you know the Bible is full of prayers? 
All kinds of righteous men recorded prayers. And what's really good about most of these prayers is that they are inspired prayers. That is to say, they are prayers that God told them to write as they are writing their hearts to Him. So they're inspired. So you know they're asking for things that are according to God's will. You know they're saying things that are good. Let me give you some prayers to study, to think about. In the Old Testament, the book of Psalms is chock full of prayers. You'll find them everywhere. Book of Psalms. There's 150 chapters in Psalms. Not all of them are prayers, but many of them are. All right? Ezra 9, Nehemiah 9, Daniel 9. Three of the great prayers of the Old Testament. They're all the number nine. Ezra 9, Nehemiah 9, Daniel 9. Three of the great prayers of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, John 17, Jesus prays as he's about to go to the cross. A lot of things worth thinking about concerning what Jesus prayed for. John 17. Philippians 1, Paul's prayer for the church at Philippi, especially verses 9 through 11. Philippians chapter 1, especially verses 9 through 11. Colossians chapter 1, Paul prays for people that he's never even met. Paul had not been to Colossae as far as we know. And yet he prayed for those brethren. What did he say? What did he ask God for? Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3 have some tremendous prayers. Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3. So I'm giving you a list. Study the prayers of the Bible. Okay? Number three. When it comes to prayer, if you're just getting started, let me challenge you to be honest in your prayers. Don't try to say things to God that you think other people would say. You say what's on your heart. You talk about things that concern you. And you'll learn as you go. As you spend time studying some of the things that people in the Bible ask for, as you spend time listening to and talking to other Christians, talk to the elders here. What should I pray for? That's a great question to ask them. Talk to the ministers here. What should I pray for? But be honest. 1 Peter 5, verse 7 says this. 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Cast all your cares upon Him. He cares for you. Remember ADD prayer? The one where you start out praying and all of a sudden your mind goes wandering off somewhere? Okay, so what do you do when you catch yourself wandering? I'll tell you what you do. You be honest. God, I just caught myself and my mind was wandering. I did not want for that to happen. That was not my intention. I want to concentrate because I want to talk to you. And I've got some things that really, really, I know you can do. And I believe you can. And nobody else can but you. And God, I want to talk to you about these things. That's honesty. Okay? Be honest with God. God, I'm struggling in the way that I'm trying to treat this, this coworker, this person that just really, really is antagonistic towards me. I'm struggling with this, and I don't know what to do. And I need help. And I need wisdom. Those kinds of things, honesty, that's what God wants. He wants to hear what's in your heart. Next, practical helps for prayer. When you ask, and this is very important, ask believing. That is to say, ask with conviction and confidence that God can do what you're asking Him for. It's not, well, God, if you will, and if you can, and if you might, maybe something good will happen. God, I believe that you are able to do this. Got your Bible? Look at James chapter 1. I believe that you are able to do this. I believe 
because the Bible says you're able to do these things. I believe that you can. James chapter 1. Look at verse 6. James chapter 1, verse 6. James says, if you ask for anything, especially wisdom in this passage, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Brothers and sisters and friends, if we're going to ask God for anything, one man put it this way, we need to pray with importunity. Importunity, that's an archaic kind of word, but what it means is, God, what I have to say is important to me, and I know that you can do this, and I believe that you can do this, and you're the only one who can answer this prayer. That's importunity. That's what James says we need. Ask with conviction and belief. God, I know. I know that you can help this. I know that you can fix this. I know that you can make a difference here. So when you ask, ask believing. Number next. Pray specifically four letters. If you don't know what else to do. And by the way, this is how I answered the young man. A-C-T-S. Acts. Book of Acts. You've probably heard this before. The A stands for adoration. Adoration. Adoration is when I tell God what I think of Him. I adore you, O God. You're great, you're wonderful, you're majestic, you're mighty, you're loving, you're good, you're gracious, you're merciful, you're righteous, you're just. That's adoration. Spend time in adoration to God. Don't make your prayer just a laundry list of things that you want. Spend time adoring Him because you love Him, because you want to tell Him how great He really is and how much He means to you. That's adoration. The C in Acts stands for confession. Confession needs to be specific, especially in private prayer. Don't get up in the pulpit, men, and confess your private sins from the pulpit. That's not where that's appropriate. But it is appropriate when you're praying privately. God, I should not have thought the way I thought when I saw such and such. God, I have been struggling with materialism. Please forgive me. My priorities are all out of whack. God, I should not have lashed out at my family the way I did just now. Please forgive me and help me to do better. That's confession. Confession is when we say the same thing about our sin that God already knows. The T stands for thanksgiving. The T stands for thanksgiving. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. It's amazing when we start literally doing that, how many blessings we can come up with. And I'm not just talking about material things. Count your friends and thank God for every one of them. Count the good influences and the teachers that have made a difference in your life. Thank God for them. And the S stands for supplication. Supplication. God, I lack something and you have something that you can supply to me. Supplication. That's a supply. You have in your storehouse of riches, O God, something that you can supply to my experience, to my life. And God, I need that from you because I want to do your will and I want you to be glorified and I want people to see Jesus. That's supplication. A-C-T-S. We're out of time. Here's the thing. I want you to go home tonight and I want you to give serious thought to your prayer life. 
And I hope that what we have done together tonight has been this. I hope that we have re-motivated ourselves to genuinely be people of prayer and people who passionately believe that God is and that He loves us and that He hears us when we offer prayers to Him. Thank you very much for your kind attention tonight. I appreciate the opportunity to be here.